You're listening to an encore presentation of Faith and Family. Joining me by phone now, the Reverend Jeff Flug, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Madison, Indiana. He also served on the uh, the LCMS Disabilities Task Force. Pastor Flug, welcome back to Faith and Family. Thank you for having me, Andy. I enjoy our conversations when we get to talk from time to time, and uh, I love sharing with our listeners the 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 wisdom and experience that that you have, and give them uh, give us all an opportunity to learn and, and grow from that. Uh, Pastor, tell us a, a little bit about your ministry there at uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Madison, Indiana. Well, it goes back uh, a good twenty years, and and really, it starts with things that happened in my family. Uh, before I was a pastor. In fact, I was a pharmacist at the time. And in 1983, we had two children, and uh, one was 19 months old, the other was six months old. And our 19-month-old became severely ill. And uh, there was two weeks in the hospital, just very, very stressful set of circumstances. And uh, my wife was a registered nurse and she cared for our daughter day and night and um, something happened (laughs) and uh, uh, to try to uh, be as brief as possible our our daughter did well there was a a rare tumor on the back of her heart they couldn't it took actually open heart surgery finally to to get to that and she recovered and is doing quite well married living in Phoenix uh, and is also a pharmacist Uh, but anyway but during that, there was a stay in the ICU, and all that pressure, it got to my wife, and, um, and that was my introduction to severe mental illness, and uh, it was really uh, a very tough thing, and uh, for two years, she was in very deep psychosis, and we tried everything. We, um, I passed her in Hoylton, Illinois. Um, in fact, he's a, been a guest on, I think, your program several times, Peter Kurowski. Mm-hmm. And, and then also Pastor Tom Baker. He was a former pastor of mine. I worked with those two men a lot. I worked with Dr. Hanschke uh, when he was at the seminary. I uh, took my wife to these various places, and uh, we did everything we could. And uh, But nothing would pull her out of this psychosis. And it was just devastating for our family and two young children and so forth, but uh, by God's grace, he led me into a local mental health community center, of all things. It was an act of desperation. And we went into that office, and uh, it was a tough, in those days, things were tough. Family was always problems when, you know, a source of the problem when it came to mental health and so forth, and And so we didn't see eye to eye, but to make a long story short, I I was allowed into the doctor's office. I always remembered the man. I love him dearly with all my heart, but at the time, he and I didn't hit it off real well. And um, he was a very brilliant man, but he was an atheist. And I always remember one phrase that he gave me. He said, you can have your psychological papa in the sky, but we're going to treat your wife with medication. And being a pharmacist, I was very afraid of the meds that they had out there because of side effects. But of all the meds that they put her on, they put her on Haldol. And uh, because we had tried everything else, we did it. And within two weeks, after two years, all 
all the delusions went away. And that was an epiphany, to say the least. And it, 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 just, uh, it just changed our life. And um, a couple years later, we went to the seminary and um, I became a pastor. And that experience, though, influenced me. And uh, we've had many relapses in the, in over the 30 years. Uh, then when the son, who was six months old, when my wife was ill, when he was 18, he developed severe schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, and his has not been as responsive to medication and therapy like my wife's has. And then, just in the past few years, I've got another son, and he, what well, we have a, a, a dual diagnosis, or co-occurring disorders of substance abuse and bipolar. And so, it's a wide variety of things going on, but it, it affected then when I came to the congregation, um, I actually broke down in the pulpit uh, after I'd been there several years. I hid this from so many people. I, I always had people to talk with, but because of stigma and shame and all these things that happen uh, to families that endure these things, uh, I, I was able to put up a facade. I was pretty good at it, but I remember one Sunday I broke down, and so the cat was out of the bag, and... But the con- I had developed a relationship already with the people, and, and they were just so supportive. And um, so that led to things that we're doing now at our church. And, and we're a small parish here in Madison. Uh, it's it's uh, definitely not a, what we would call a Lutheran territory like St. Louis or Fort Wayne or, you know, those kinds of areas. Uh, but we did have a mental uh, state mental institution also when I was here. It's literally in my backyard. And um, so we have always had Christmas parties, things like that, for residents that are over there. And then just in the past few years, we started getting involved with a group called NAMI. And I know you've had guests before. I know Linda Preuss has been on KFUO. In fact, it was through her that I first heard of NAMI on KFUO. And that uh, went to St. Louis and listened to a a workshop she did and then came back here and and we had a... uh, uh, went to Cincinnati for training or, or just to listen to a class uh, on, it was called Family to Family. And so to kind of bring this to a close, two big events in, in our family's life was one, the use of medication, how it helped so much for, for my family. And then to have people in similar situations um, and to be gathered with them and then to be educated and to learn various skills to help your family member and then just and then dealing with folks here and there is so much going on in a family dynamic um, with uh, guilt and their spiritual issues and there's just family tensions all of this that instead of me having to drive 75 miles to Cincinnati we wanted to have something here in Madison and so for three years we're in our Starting our fourth year, we've been able to develop a family-to-family class and then a a support group for the family members and then also what's called a connections group. And that's for those that have an illness that they can get together and have support. And there's other – we haven't been able to do – there's so many things that can be done. We haven't been able to get an education program going for them. Uh, Those are difficult to get going, but we are striving after that. 
And I would say that we've had uh, 25 families or so that we've been able to touch, and it's had an impact on the congregation. Uh, It's had an impact on our circuit. We're actually going to plan a uh, circuit convocation next year and focus on mental health. And uh, In fact, we've asked Dr. Pless from uh, Fort Wayne to come down and talk about Luther and spiritual his uh, letters of spiritual counsel and then uh, have a couple other speakers. I'll be one of those. And to and just to get awareness out there, to, to, uh, to encourage folks for education, uh, to, to be educated as to what mental illnesses are. And then there's some real tangible coping skills and, and family dynamic things that can be done for the family dynamic. And um, in a sense, for me, sort of, it's we're a small population that are afflicted with these kinds of illnesses. Uh, but it's I always kind of think is to the there's the hundred sheep and the lost sheep. <laughs> what can we do for for that sheep there in particular, and then how it brings blessing to the whole flock? Prior to your family's experience with uh, mental illness, what was your perception of mental illness of individuals? Uh, who who encountered uh, who experienced mental illness, or their family members who who cared for them? What was your perception of mental illness, or maybe yeah, misconceptions I, about it? Yeah, misconception. Very. Uh, that's an excellent question. And to my uh, to my shame, uh, it was in my family. I, I had an aunt who I now understand had schizophrenia, and uh, we called her Crazy Aunt Charlotte. Okay, this is in the 1960s. And so it was sort of the attitude that it was a a character weakness, character flaw. Uh, They just need to sort of get their act together, straighten up. Um, You could blame family, other family members. You could blame, uh, uh, in my aunt's case, just she was sort of a high-strung person. And um, there was a a lot of the blame game. And I I didn't, I can't say that I looked at it as a spiritual crisis. Now I've run into folks that look at it that way. And uh, there's there's sort of maybe a, um, that's part of the dynamic. But but as far as the cause of it, I didn't really look at it at all as a biological-based illness. And again, I'm dealing in the, the area of severe mental illnesses, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, uh, obsessive compulsive disorders, eating disorders, the um, uh, PTSD in particular, you know, is, is one that's really in the headlines today as well. The effect of stress on the body, I didn't really consider that. And uh, I sort of joined in on the stigma side of things. Once you you started to once your your I, I think that the first uh, encounter was with your your wife's experience after uh, your the the long hours caring for your daughter in the hospital is that right Yes. How did you react as that was developing? As a, 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 did you start to see signs and recognize what was happening, or how did you realize that it was? Uh, when did you come to learn that it was a mental illness? Yeah, it, it really was the, well, I mean, I knew it was a mental illness. I, it was how to treat it. Mm-hmm. And it, it that was really when I went into the psychiatrist, 
an, an atheistic, anti-Christian psychiatrist's office, and he and a medication took away what we were struggling with over two years. I mean, it, it was I, I can't overemphasize how that changed my thinking. And again, this is 1983. It's there was a. Uh, psychoanalysis and Freudism and all those things were still heavily influential on things and and um, it, they weren't looking at it as a, a you know the biological nature of the brain back then and so um, I forget the first part of your question but I mean that was the the turning point was how medicine helped you, if I recall correctly, you said it was two years of uh, yeah. of trying to find a, a solution, trying to find relief for your wife. Um, what about you? How did you cope with the the challenges that that come from this, from from mental illness of a, a loved one, of your your spouse, and and all the other family things that were going on, your your daughter's health, your uh, your other children as well, uh, all during that that two years. I'm sure that was a very stressful time. Yeah. Well, I can't thank enough my pastors, and uh, I, I mean it was the the church, but it was everything was always done in confidence. Um, we just simply you didn't talk about these things, so you you isolated yourself immensely, and uh, and yet I would go out. I mean, if I went back today where I worked as a pharmacist, the people had no idea. All right, they knew that Monica was losing weight and those kinds of things that she was quiet, but they they just wouldn't have known the extent. And and back then, I just don't think that there was as much understanding as to what's what was going on as it is now. So my pastors, um, I taught my father-in-law, um, who he had 10 children and, and, uh, his, my mother-in-law had something not as severe as what happened to my wife, but he had an understanding. My parents, uh, I, I, they, I hurt their feelings because I really didn't talk with them because I knew of how our family sort of felt about other family members with it. And the good news is that's all different, <laughs> okay, now. And uh, But I remember my mom saying how that, it, it, you know, that I didn't really talk to him a lot. So it, uh, that was just my self-defense mechanisms. I hid it from my children. The children didn't know I, my oldest until she became about the seventh or eighth grade. That's when I started talking to the kids because sometimes when their mother would have a relapse, um, you, you couldn't tell. That's the thing with some of the illnesses is, is that, you, you don't know unless you get in and, and ask as to because of the paranoia and those kind of things. It's just uh, a person retreats and, and becomes quiet and doesn't share that. And she was able to, to care for our family and those kinds of things. So not everybody can, will have the same experience that I had. But um, anyway, it's, and I think that so much of it was just having uh, wonderful pastors who kept taking us to Christ and Romans eight twenty eight, how God works all things together for good and not understanding it and uh, but still just being strengthened by God's spirit through the word and, and with his sacrament. I mean, the, the church was everything for us. What are, what are some misconceptions that, that the church congregations may have regarding mental illness and 
um, what the what they can do as a congregation. Yeah, it, it would. Uh, education is really a key thing. Is that uh, every congregation is going to have an individual that is that that has a severe mental illness, and the, the percentages are you know that vary depending on. Uh, where you go, but it's it's like schizophrenia would be one, say one percent, something like that. And if you combine them all, maybe five to six percent. So you've got individuals there, but the attitudes are just going to vary depending on the individual. Uh, we had that conference at the seminary uh, a few weeks back, and a, a man went to the mic who was a pastor, and and he showed or uh, described how his congregation had sort of turned against him. And that that's not supposed to happen to you if you're a pastor. And when I was a circuit visitor, I saw that with there would be maybe something in the information about a pastor's mental health or somebody in the family. And it sort of broke my heart. I didn't say any, Well, I did bring it up to one congregation, but they would always take that uh, pastor's name and put him in. There were always three piles. Somebody we're very interested in, someone we might be, and someone that we probably shouldn't consider. And if you ever had a, a depression or something like that, it always went over in that third pile. And that uh, that always troubled me. And so, really, I think what's happening now is, especially with, our, uh, with the Gulf War vets uh, coming back and the PTSD being more and more out there, and, and we're talking about it as a society, we're finally beginning to make a social contract with those that have... A mental illness, just like we have social contracts with those that that um, have heart disease or diabetes or cancer, you know, we'll have the walks for those that have breast cancer and things like that. You're starting to see that in the area of mental illness, and uh, and so I would just encourage congregations more and more that, especially if you've got a loved one, there's help out there. There are networks that are wonderful, and I can give some resources and so forth for you on that uh, to direct people where I've at least found help. And so it's really in education, and then if what, the, if what a person or their, the family needs, there's this sense of isolation. They need somebody to come alongside them and simply listen to them. And don't make judgments, just listen and be there. I, I had an individual once that just went on and on and on on the phone with me, and uh, I was so frustrated. And I finally said, well, what do you want me to do? And he stunned me. He said, you've already done it. You listened to me. <laughs> and I felt completely inadequate in what I was saying. But he just needed somebody to talk to. And so congregations and pastors in particular, because they're on the front lines for counseling, the folks that have an illness need a friend. And then they need a sense of self-dignity because it's so hard for them to have a job. And so we have a man here in our congregation who offered my son a, where he could just work maybe three hours a week. Now, he hasn't taken him up on that offer. But what I'm telling you is, is that when a person comes to church that has a mental illness and they're not employed, people are saying, well, what are you doing, Phil? And, you know, where are you working and this and that? And my son says, Dad, what am I supposed to tell him? Uh, that I go to group? But for a while he had a job in a bookstore, three hours a week. 
he can now tell them, I work in a bookstore, and I'm, you know, it's like I'm contributing to the community, and, and there's, some, there's some self-worth and dignity, simple things that we can do. And so if members have some kind of business that they can have patience and, and just offer a person a three-hour-a-week job, the benefit of that would just be amazing. And so to, to come alongside, be a friend, and is there some type of, of vocation that you can offer an individual and then to be there for the family and uh, uh, education, go, going to uh, NAMI and some other organizations. I know time is short, but can I give you some places to Certainly. refer people? Certainly. Okay. Uh, the first is is that uh, our own Senate has uh, a website. It's called it's lcms.org, and then you just go slash disability. So if folks go there and you can go down, there's articles. Uh, and now that'll include all disabilities, so you you would want to look for the mental health side of things. Uh, another is Todd Peppercorn's book, "I Trust When Dark My Road," and if you just Google that and put LCMS with it, it'll take you right to a site, and you can have that book um, as a PDF form. Then uh, some two secular organizations: www.nami. That's n-a-m-i. dot o-r-g, and just click around and uh there's just a, it's a source that you can uh a place that you can really trust its uh, its information and that is good for family members and those that have an illness for those that are just in the community and so forth there's this group um mental health first aid so if you go to mentalhealthfirstaid.org they can really help folks that don't have it in the family and i would really recommend pastors and and uh, uh, other church workers to it's an eight hour uh, you can sign up for an eight hour course on that and then two other things uh, there's a video two videos uh, documentaries one is called shadow voices shadow voices and that's put out by the mennonites it's very very good and then the other is minds on the edge dot org uh, that is a pbs frontline series and that will take you into the the dynamics of what's going on in communities. Well, very helpful resources. Uh, with just about uh, just less than a minute left, one last question that uh, you had mentioned that you know, as a as a pastor, uh, you kept the mental illness in your family hidden. You 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 kept it hidden, kept up a facade uh, for quite a while until it finally broke and and uh, and the cat was out of the bag. What is the risk that one takes when when sharing about mental illness in their family, whether it's their own or a loved one? What is the risk of not sharing with just about a minute, Pastor? I know that's a lot to pack into one minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, you are um, you're not getting the help that is out there. Uh, a similar thing is the people that have a mental illness. So often they don't want to seek treatment if there's for those individuals please there's help out there and uh, the lord has given us some wonderful things it's not a perfect (laughs) treatment plan but there are medicines there's uh, folks to talk to and um, and you're not alone and so that's kind of the theme that we have with especially nami and mental health folks is that you are not alone and so 
that's the danger of the isolation. And I was stunned when I went to Cincinnati, and within an hour of meeting about 15 other people, we were you become lifelong friends, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. And you, it's just that connectedness. I, I've told folks a group like NAMI is kind of the closest thing to being church without being a church, and and that may apply to other sort of organizations um, as well. But anyway, that is, we're made, God has made us as social beings, and uh, and so you're, that there is recovery. The recovery is possible. Recovery happens. And another word for recovery, then, is that there is hope. Our guest today, the Reverend Jeff Flug, from uh, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Madison, Indiana. Pastor Flug, thanks for being our guest today and helping uh, uh, clarify some of these points for us today. Thank you, Andy. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.